Somebody shout, I believe in favor. Let me tell you something about favor. I'm not preaching on favor today, but this is a part of my little introduction here. If you don't understand as a believer the power of favor, you will never be able to do what God has called you to do. Because God has called you to do something and things and go places and to see things happen that are beyond your natural ability. They are beyond your natural resources. You don't have enough money to do what God has called you to do. You don't have a big enough church to do what God has called your church to do. No church is ever, quote, big enough. No ministry is ever, quote, big enough. I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, you know, at some point, is it not just big enough? Well, what are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me that God doesn't want one more person to be saved in that building? You're trying to tell me that God doesn't want one more person healed in that building? Favor doesn't make sense. Favor is not logical. Favor is unmerited. Favor is something, quite frankly, undeserved. And, but let me tell you something. Favor does not come on everybody. And I'm going to tell you right now, favor does not come and reside and actively work in every Christian's life. Now, there's the unmerited favor called grace. That's not what I'm preaching on. I'm not preaching about the grace of God. I'm talking about the favor of God that opens doors for you that man cannot open. What you just saw on that screen was favor. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's favor on this ministry because this ministry, we would have never dreamed that these men of God would be coming and speaking to us. Not that we're trying to elevate them above any natural human being because they're just men. But the, if you were to ask me, if I never met Bishop Clint, if I never knew Rod or Perry, if I never knew they were coming, and you, I'm telling you this is the truth, and you were to come up and ask me right now, who are the top five preachers and ministers, individuals who have molded you and mentored you into the man that you are today as a preacher, as a father, and as a husband. Well, the, the, the father, the husband, the preacher, and many other things, of course, would be Frankie Powell, my pastor, Pastor Frankie Powell, who will be in this pulpit two weeks from today, praise God, my, my spiritual father. But I'll tell you right now, on, on, a, on a grand scale, authors, well-known speakers, if I never, ever, ever had a conversation with these men, Never knew they would ever come to our building. You asked me randomly, who are the top three well-known people that defines you? Without question, without having to think about it, I would name Clint Brown, Rod Parsley, and Perry Stone. These are the three men who shaped my early ministry and has continued to shape my life. And God knew that this house, this house has been impacted by these men. We are who we are as part of the legacy of these men. So God, by favor, brought these men into our lives to speak into our lives to help elevate us to the next level. You're getting quiet on me right now. You hearing me? I don't know how much it means to you, but you need to know how much it means to your pastor. You need to know how much this means. These are men who shaped my life. Favor. Rod Parsley is coming. I didn't even ask him to come. 
This is what favor will do. I'm on the phone with Bishop Clint telling him about how much him and Rod blessed me in the early days of Dominion Camp Meeting on VHS tapes. And he said, I could hear his wife kindling in the back. I thought he was talking to his wife. He said, hold on just a second, Pastor. I thought he was talking to his wife. Next thing I know, click, I'm on a three-way phone call with Rod Parsley. That, that was enough for me to fall out of my kitchen. My wife didn't even know what was going on. I was in my kitchen shaking. I was like, I was trying to stay cool. He's like, Pastor Rod's like, hey, Brother Larry, how you doing? I was like, I'm doing good. How are you, Pastor Rod? You know, that's the way I was talking. That's the way it sounded through the phone when I'm in my kitchen. I was like, I'm doing pretty good, Pastor Rod. It's like meeting a guy. Think about it, meeting a guy. I mean, literally, my preaching style was molded and mentored from this man. I wanted to be him. So in the course of the conversation, that was enough for me. This is what favor would do. Clint, I know where it just says, hey, Pastor Larry's got a church down in Birmingham called Solid Rock Church. They're celebrating 25 years coming up in October. You meant a lot to him, Pastor Rod, more than you'll ever know. Would you, would you go down there and preach for him on this 25th anniversary? Would you? Is that okay, Pastor Larry, that I asked that? I was like, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. You know. That's cool, yeah. Whatever, man. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, you know. You know just obey God, you know. You know, no, no. I didn't say all that. That's what I was thinking. And, and within, within five minutes, Pastor Rod Parsley was booked at Elevate Conference. I never called the church. I never asked him. I never dreamed it. Somebody shout favor. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We've been parked in Acts for a while now. And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip was one of the first seven that was chosen to be deacons along with Stephen and five others. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. But this is the Philip we're talking about. He had just been preaching and seeing great miracles. And you know the, 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 the famous story of, of the, the sorcerer wanting to buy the power he had just been a part of all of that. Now, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip while he's in the midst of a great revival, in the midst of an exploding move of God. He said, arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What's the next three words? Say it out loud. This is a desert. Let me tell you what favor will do sometimes. It will mess with your mind. It will not make sense on the good side because God will bless you in a way you'll be like, my God, I don't deserve that. It don't even make sense. But it will also take you into places that looks like God has not just put, not on, he's forgotten favor. He's punishing you by where he's taking you. It makes no sense. There is no evidence of favor. But you've got to understand something. In order for you to walk in favor, you've got to go where God tells you to go. You don't get to just stand back and say, I'm your child, Lord, give me favor. No, if my people, are you hearing me? Come on, you got to do what God told you to do if you want what God wants for you. I'm going to preach today whether you like it or not. I love how the Word of God is so intentional. You could have researched it yourself and found. You could have got you an old map. 
and you could have looked at Jerusalem, and you could have looked at Gaza, and on your own you could have figured out, well, that looks sort of like a pretty deserted place between there. And you could have just sort of surmised on your own that there might be a couple of deserts on the way. No, the Word of God, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, tell him, write down what I told him to do, and then after that, because notice the quotations ends, he says, go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That was the end. But then Luke said, and that's a desert. Now, notice the angel of the Lord did not say that's a desert. Luke is explaining to the reader, Theophilus, who he's writing to, let me paint a picture for you. This man was in the midst of an exploding ministry. Are you hearing me? Things were going good. He probably just signed a lease on a new building, praise God. His YouTube channel was just now kicking in. He was subscribers, was popping like crazy. Everybody wanted to book Philip the Evangelist. Are y'all hearing me? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, when he get ready to settle down in Jerusalem, in the holy city, God says, get up, leave the mountain, Watch what he says. You've got to catch how God is intentional in his word. He made a point to say, go down, not go up. Sometimes the only way you can be elevated is you've got to be willing to go down. Come on. Some of your greatest battles where you stand for your family is when you fall on your face. Huh? When you're down on your knees. It's when you stand the strongest. Preaching good. Go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Oh, and by the way, if you're reading this, that's a desert. Now, how many knows that that was put in there for the reader, but Philip knew exactly where Gaza was. He done traveled that area most of his life. It'd be like somebody saying, get up in Pinson. And go to, to Trustful. People who have lived in Trustful know every way to get to Trustful. That lived in Pinson know every way to get to Trustful. All the back roads, if a road is shut down, if there's a way to get around it, you know how to get around it. You know how to get to Trustful, right? How many of us, you know everything that's between here and Trustful. Now, if somebody don't live in Pinson and they were reading about the Lord telling you to go to Trustful, the reader might need to know a little bit about where you're going in between there to set the picture. But you don't need to know it. The moment you hear, Larry Raglan, go to Trustful, the first thing comes to your mind is work traffic on Sweeney Hollow. Right? Nobody else knows about Sweeney Hollow if they've never gone down Sweeney Hollow when kids are getting out of school or going to school. You better pray in the Holy Ghost. That's our little mini 280, y'all. But if you've lived here, you know it. Philip knew the moment he heard the angel of the Lord say, go down to Gaza. He knew there were no TV studios in Gaza. He knew there were no big churches in Gaza. He knew there was no big crowds in Gaza. He knew there was nothing that was going to sustain the level of success he had seen in Jerusalem in Gaza. In fact, he was going to have to walk through a complete desert to get there, and Gaza itself is a desert. 
Not only you got to walk through a desert to get there, when you get there, the angel of the Lord is telling you to start a ministry in the desert. If it was some of y'all, you'd have called me up and said, I need some wisdom. I need some counsel, brother. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like the Lord is telling me to go to Trustful, and I don't know if I want to battle Swinney Hollow Road and because, you know, so I'm needing some counsel. Will you get the prayer team to touch God and, and see if it's, if it's his will? Because I know the Lord has told me to go, but Sweeney Holla. Come on, let's just talk about Sweeney Holla. I mean, is that really, is that really the life? That, didn't he say he wanted me to live a life and have it more abundantly? I don't think that means morning traffic in Sweeney Holla. Come on. It can't mean that. I'm trying to make it real for you. Okay. The Bible said without hesitation, verse 27, so he arose and went. So he arose and went. No praying about it. No fasting about it. We need a people of God that knows the voice of God. Now, you need to pray about decisions. You need to pray about life-altering things. I'm not, prayer is at the key of everything. But you need to be at a, at a level where when you hear God, you know you heard God. Are you hearing me? You need to be able to differentiate between the voice of God and the voice of the devil and the voice of you. Because if you're not careful, all three of them will sound the same. But when you know God has told you to do something, get up and go. Now, what was he going to do? Listen, he was going to take that off the screen. And maybe it already is off. Thank you. I fooled myself. Y'all doing good. I can see it, but y'all can't, praise God. It's good. So he thought, my mission is in Gaza. But God knew that his mission was not in Gaza. His mission was going to be revealed on the way to Gaza. But now listen, God is masterful. And he is so omniscient and all-knowing, he knows us better than we know ourselves. If he said, start at this line and go to that other line, and I got something waiting for another line, we all get excited and we start running towards the line. A lot of times, and I've had this happen in my life, God will give us a big-picture prophecy. I remember in 25 years ago, October the 2nd, 1994, with 10 people in a storefront building in Gardendale, Alabama, the first sermon I ever preached, this is what I said. 
We will be a multiracial, multicultural church. We will have people from all races and nationalities. Ten people, y'all. And I said, we will preach to thousands. We will have a sanctuary that can bring in thousands. And people, anybody we want to bring in to preach, we'll bring. We were in a storefront building that was about half the size of that one section of pews. But we spoke it. Why? Because God had already showed me that. But you know what I thought? I thought it was going to happen in the first year or two. I didn't know it was going to take 20 years to get in this building and 25 years to see some of the stuff happen that he told me right here. But God knew that what I needed and what you needed and what this house needed, in order for us to be ready to get to that other point, we were going to have missions throughout the journey. So he still did have a mission in Gaza, but he didn't tell him what was about to happen. Well, he did tell him. He did tell him once it came upon him. But watch what happened. When he said, get up, when, when he got up and went, he didn't know this part. So he arose and went. And behold, as he's going, watch this, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship where he was where Philip was, and was now returning back to Ethiopia. He's sitting in a moving chariot going across the desert. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah that he had been given a copy of while he was worshiping in Jerusalem. Then the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Mm. So Philip ran to him. Now you got to understand something. Chariots, when you're on your way back to Ethiopia, do not just sit in the open sun of the desert and read. No, you number one, you're in a covered chariot. This is not like one of them you see in the chariot races. This is in a big, a big chariot, almost like we would see a horse and buggy. He was covered because he was a wealthy man. He was a man who had all access to all the treasure of the queen, the queen of the entire nation of Ethiopia, which is one of the wealthiest nations in, in all the world at that time. So he wasn't riding in no in no baby uh, broke down chariot. Come on, somebody. And the thing was moving. So in order to catch him and overtake him, what did Philip have to do? He had to run. Now watch this. The title of my message today, I believe I called it supernatural, what I call it? Supernatural advancement. Supernatural advancement. God can take the natural when you use it for, for him and exponentially add to it and allow you to do things that are not even humanly possible. That's called miracles. So it's a miracle that we preach right over that he's walking on his way to Gaza and he sees dust. And all of a sudden he goes by and it's like it slows down right in front of him. He sees this man sitting there reading a scroll. It keeps on going by. Holy Spirit says, go catch him. So he's just, he's just running. Can you imagine, man? Can you imagine? This dude's reading Isaiah. He's all caught up in his reading. If it was us nowadays, he'd have his earphones in. Come on. He's just chilling. Praise God. He's got the big earphone. He's got his noise cancellation on. He, he just sees something out of his peripheral vision. And somebody's, excuse me. Excuse me. Could you slow down just a second? 
Dude says, whoa. Could I help you? What's what happened? He stops. He's covered in dust. He's standing in the middle of a hot desert. And he's very intentional with his words. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He immediately identifies it as the scroll of Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? This man, I don't have time to to read it. But if you read the scripture, it goes on to say, how can I understand? It's very confusing to me. He said, what part are you reading? He starts reading. He said, I'm reading these things of the messianic prophecy of the Messiah as a lamb who went before the uh, uh, was slain. He, was, he, he, he spoke not a word. He starts talking about the Lamb of God. Why was he reading that? He was reading that because a Messianic Jew or a Jew who had received Jesus as Messiah while he was in Jerusalem had begun to explain to him all the events that had just happened. Just a few weeks ago, y'all, Jesus had ascended to heaven. Are you hearing me? So he's just, his spirit is being drawn to God. But how the Bible, Paul says this, how will they know in what they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? Are you hearing me? So he's doing the best he can with his natural ability. But God, in his infinite wisdom, had sent someone into his life to help him. It'd be like some people would be like, oh, man, I appreciate it. I got it. Thank you. I, I've been schooled in the, some of the highest schools in all of my nation. I'm, a, I'm more educated than you ever were, sir. Appreciate it. But I don't care how educated you are. you got to be teachable. If you want favor on your life, you got to be teachable. Because when you're teachable, you're reachable. If you ain't teachable, you ain't reachable. See, I want to give you a statement that you need to write down. Some of y'all ain't wrote nothing down yet. You say you want to be a good leader, you ain't wrote nothing down. Obedience is the key to hearing the voice of God. So you thought I was going to say key to to favor. See, the key to favor is knowing what God is telling you to do and you being obedient to it. And then favor is released as a result. But favor cannot be released as a result if, you don't, if you're not obedient to the place where you have heard the voice of God telling you to do something. If you need direction in your life, increase your obedience to God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Are you hearing me? Do you serve in this church? You should, because God's told you to. That's called obedience. If you went through the growth track, you signed a membership document at the end of 101. You signed your name saying you agree to serve in this house. Now, we ain't got a police force that's going to come arrest you if you don't. Ultimately, obedience is a, is a willful thing that you choose to do. We're not going to force you to do it here. But if you want the favor of God in your life, you need to understand what it is to serve. See, 
Philip was in a place called Jerusalem. He had a powerful ministry. Do you know what Jerusalem means? It means double peace. Shalom. That's Jerusalem. It means peace. It means double peace. He was in a place of double peace, and God plucked him out of double peace and sent him to a desert. Some of y'all would have thought that was the devil and rebuked him. Are y'all hearing me? But do you understand? Without the desert and the wilderness, there is no burning bush. That's where the burning bush spoke to Moses. Without the desert and the wilderness, we wouldn't have the Ten Commandments. Without the desert and the wilderness, we wouldn't have John the Baptist. Without the desert in the wilderness, Jesus himself would have not walked down off the mountain in power and into the temple to begin his ministry. Jesus started his ministry before anybody ever heard him speak as the Messiah. He went to the desert and fought the devil. He came right, right up out of the water. There's no more glorious rec recommendation than to be baptized by John the Baptist and hear the voice of God speak through the clouds. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit of God as a form of a dove comes and lights upon you. I mean, my God, what more do you need to plant a church? How, how, how could you not be successful? But instead of going straight in and planting a church, he went straight to the desert. That's where he fought the devil. Because if you can't fight the devil in the desert, you're not going to walk in the favor, in the glory. Instead of rebuking the desert, how about you just be obedient in the desert and believe that if God told you to go there, he's got something waiting on you in that desert. God Almighty, I'm preaching. The greatest Christian that ever lived, if you want to call it that because there's really no such thing, is Paul. I call him that not because he's greater than any other Christian. He was just a man. But it's because most of the revelation of what we have, of what a Christian is and what a Christian should believe and how we, how we understand grace, how we understand the gifts of the Spirit, how we understand preaching, and so much stuff we learn from this man, right, from his conversion. But when he was converted on the road to Damascus, and God healed his eyes and he was filled with the Holy Ghost just a few days later. The Bible says he did not immediately go to Jerusalem to show himself to the apostles, but rather he went to the deserts of Arabia and spent time alone. Watch this. For three years in a desert with Jesus. And at the end of three years in the desert, it's just a blip that we have in Galatians, Galatians that tells us that. Thank God if, we, if he didn't write that in there, we wouldn't even know he did it because we just assume that he got changed, filled the Holy Ghost, and began his ministry. He did not begin to be the apostle Paul until he had walked in the desert for three years. I don't preach unless it's in the Bible. This man was a eunuch. This meant, I think you all know what a eunuch is. If you don't, it just means that he was not able to produce seed on his own. And how many know sometimes you can be at a place where you feel like there's no, you have no ability to produce anything? 
anymore. Maybe you did it one time, but somebody stole something. Somebody castrated you spiritually. Are you hearing me? I'm preaching good. You used to be able to walk in blessings, but now it just seems like the blessings have left you. If you're spiritually awake, you will see that God will run somebody right upside your chariot to help you come out of a barren state. Oh, my God. Are y'all hearing me? The Old Testament says, Blessed is the womb of the barren, for she shall produce more than those that were fruitful in the natural. Now, that's not the, that's not the, I mean, we're not talking about physically here, but God was trying to say, while everyone else may have cursed you, that you have not been able to give birth in the spirit to the things that others have, look around you and begin to appreciate what God has done in your life. Because what is a parent? What is a father and a mother? They are someone who produces another child and spends the rest of their life trying to help that child succeed. If you're not doing that, you really, can I be real with y'all? And be tra- y'all gonna, some of y'all going to quit the church when you hear this. Some of y'all, if you don't believe that your job as a parent is to equip your child to go further and do better than you, you suck as a parent. Now, if you shouted me the whole day and you can't believe your pastor said suck, I'll never be back at that church again. You certainly ain't going to be able to handle the men that's coming. You don't know them very well. Listen, what I'm trying to say is this. If you are in competition with your kids, you are not a parent. A parent wants their children to do better than them. So if you look, you need to begin to look around and see what God is trying to do through you and how he's trying to empower you to help other people succeed. Forget about getting credit. Forget about getting accolades. My God, you've made it about yourself and not about what God is trying to produce through you. You have become a spiritual eunuch. You want to blame someone else for taking your ability to create seed, but the reality is this. Can I be real with you on a Sunday morning? You have castrated yourself by your disobedience and by your rebellious spirit. That wasn't in my notes. Listen to the dichotomy dichotomy this man had alt access to ultimate wealth ultimate favor with man but yet was forced to live a life where he could not produce in the natural and i think it's important to see that what god was trying to do is to teach him that the messiah that was coming that isaiah talked about was a restorer of all things that even if the natural did not get healed for him and he lived that same life of service out to his queen for the rest of his life, he, God wanted him to see that he still had the ability to produce. But he could not see it on his own. God needed to send a man to help him understand. Do you know that's why you need church? That's why we need this. 
You need to have your own relationship with God. You need to be reading the Bible yourself. You need to be getting revelation for yourself. But there are some things about you. Can I be real with you this morning? There are some things about you that if you are left alone in the chariot of life, you will never understand about you, and you will never know that this was even in you until you allow yourself to be in a place where people can call it out of you. Let's use common sense here. If, if you could do it on your own, you'd have already done it. But some of y'all are already has given God a little bit of time to work in your life. You're doing, you, if you were to step back and look at your life right now, you'd shake your head and go, well, I'll tell you one thing, and never in my life would I dream I'd be doing this. Never in my life would I dream I'd be opening the door for people at a church greeting people. I never in my life thought I'd be parking cars and waving at people. That's so out of my comfort zone. Preaching the gospel, teaching, going through Ambassador's Bible College, fill in the blanks. You never dreamed that. But you allowed yourself to be taught and you allowed yourself for somebody else to see something in you that you couldn't see in yourself. That's apostolic. Am I preaching good? Hallelujah. Oh, y'all know why I'm preaching so hard today? It hit me this week. Next Sunday is the last Sunday I get to preach until the second Sunday in November. So I'm telling you right now, you better not miss next week, y'all, because I, I'm laying it all on the line, baby, because I don't get to preach again until the second week in November. There's two services you better not miss, next Sunday and the second Sunday in November. Because when I come off of that hiatus, because we got guest preachers every Sunday in October. Woo! Woo! See, it's one thing for you to go to the desert, but it's another thing when God tells you to run after a moving chariot. Because the first thing you thought was, I've already been obedient. I'm in the desert. I'm on my way to Gaza. Now you're asking me to do something. I'm already dying of thirst. You want me to, first of all, I'm about to fall out dead. Number two, you won't ask me to catch Horses. Huh? But Philip was obviously a very obedient man. He's burned. He gets him to stop. What you read? I don't understand this about the lamb. Well, the Bible says he, he's invited to get in the chariot with him. That tells me this wasn't no baby chariot. So he gets in the chariot with him. So they start moving again. So, so first thing that come to Philip's mind is, look what the Lord has done. I ain't got to run in this desert. I, I, just kept, I just caught a ride. Hallelujah. So he's enjoying it, man. If it be nowadays, he just, he's in the air conditioned, man. He got a cold Gatorade waiting on him in there. He's relaxing, and they're just talking about the Bible. And he just begins to explain to him all the things about the Scripture. Verse 34 says, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this and of whom, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture that he was reading, preached Jesus to him. Huh? He just preached Jesus. He said, you won't understand what you read. Let me tell you about Jesus. 
This is who you're reading about. This is who just died on the cross for your sins. This is who three days later came back from the dead. This is who for 40 days he walked around and showed himself that he was alive. This is the one that just a couple of days ago, a few weeks ago, we saw his feet lift up off the ground. He disappeared into the clouds. This is the one that said, go to Jerusalem and pray, and the same power that I have will come on you. I just came from that revival. People's walking around with fire on top of their heads. I mean, thousands are being saved. A man who was lame from the gate, from his womb, from his mama, for 40 years, we all knew him. He's dancing, running around. You can't calm him down. He's acting crazy. All because of this man, Jesus. Woo, I'm almost through. Verse 36. Now as they went on down the road, they came to some water. Where are they? They're in the desert. Can I just tell you, there's no water in a desert. Huh? If you think you see water in a desert, you see one of them mirages. So they continued in the desert, and they came upon some water. Now watch this. You can tell this is, this is somebody excited about Jesus. And the eunuch said, see, see, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? Why would he say that? He didn't know about being baptized because Philip had just got through telling him that. Because at some point he'd said, what do I need to do to become one of you? And Philip had said to him, because Philip is known as Philip the Evangelist. He's a soul winner. So he said, you got to repent of your sins, and you need to be baptized in water. So what long after that, he heard that, but he's, he's thinking, okay, I hear you, but we're in a desert. And you remember God's orchestrating this whole thing, right? God's the one who told him to go to Gaza. God's the one who told him to overtake the chariot. So if God told you to go to Gaza, if God told you to overtake the chariot, then God has worked out the rest. So in the midst of the desert, they come up on, of all things, water. And while, while Philip is trying to explain why we got to wait till we get to town to do this, he goes, why we got to wait to town? Look out your window. There's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, here's what's stopping you from being baptized. I want to stop and pause right here. I don't want to preach against any other church or any other kind of doctrine, but I can tell you this right now. If water baptism alone saved you, they'd have jumped right out of that chair and jumped in the water. He said this, before we get in this water, I need to ask you, I need to make a statement, and it's a question. If you believe with all your heart what we just told you, you may. What is part of believing that? You must confess your sins to Jesus. So he did, and he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When he declared that, <laughs> whoa, I feel the Holy Ghost. Listen, when he heard the words come out of the eunuch's mouth, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38 said, he commanded the chariot to stop and stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. My God, Philip the evangelist, my Lord. The Ethiopian 
was so excited that the Bible says he baptized Philip. Me and, Jim, me and Jim have done some baptisms where we both got baptized. I'm not talking about just the splash of the water. I'm talking about they grab our arms and pull us under at the same time. And we just, we come up, me and Jim soaked. My God, I don't even care. Don't you get any ideas. I don't want you doing it every time, but if it happens, it happens. Watch what happened. I'm, th I'm through. I'm through. Now watch what can happen. When you simply obey God. Number one, we've already seen God's supernatural favor touch his legs and enable to him to do something in advance in a way that is not humanly possible for the purpose of God. You with me? But nothing compares to this next verse. Verse 39. And when they, somebody shout they. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went. That still blows my mind, y'all, every time I read it. And here's the thing that blows my mind. He went on his way rejoicing. He was so excited to be saved. He didn't talk nothing about the fact that Philip had just disappeared. I mean, if it had been us, we'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? Philip, Philip. He's like, man, I, don't, I love that brother, but I don't even care what happened to that brother. All I care about is the fact that once I was lost, but now I've been found. <laughs> All I care about is I was blind this morning, baby, but now I can see. Woo! He went on his way rejoicing. That sounded to me like the man at the gate called beautiful. When you have a true encounter with God, you can't have somebody stop you from dancing. You can't, you ain't gonna listen to somebody tell you to be quiet. If you were blind and now you can see, you gonna shout. I wish somebody that's ever had a miracle in their life would get up on their feet right now and shout. God Almighty, stay on your feet. And it's like it's just a blip. The next scripture is hilarious to me, but amazing to me. This whole story, he's told to go to Gaza. He thinks when he went, he was going to walk to Gaza. Not only did he not know he was going to have the encounter on the chariot, he has certainly had no idea that this was going to happen. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus. Do you know what this means? I'm sorry to, some of y'all be like, these are the kind of things that make me wonder if the word of God is literal. Just like, you know, would, would a man really be able to survive inside the belly of a whale for three days? That just doesn't make rational sense. Therefore, I don't believe the Bible is real. Well, first of all, the Bible is a faith document. It's been proven archaeological over and over and over again. But second of all, 
You're just going to have to believe that if God is God the way we believe God is God, and he stepped out on nothing and spoke to nothing and nothing became something, he can make somebody live in the belly of a fish for three days. He can, he can make water in the middle of a desert. Come on, somebody. God is able to do anything he wants to do. In fact, when he does a miracle, it's never rational. A miracle never makes sense. Not one miracle has ever made sense because if it made sense, it wouldn't be a miracle. You'd be able to give praise to something else. Watch this. Philip went down in a body of water in a desert where there was no water with a man that was on his way to see a queen. Now, do you understand the influence that Philip had in the nation of Ethiopia. I could preach it on another day. The Ethiopian church was one of the strongest churches in that day and to this day that's ever existed. Much of it was based on this encounter. Watch this. He comes up out of the water. Now, it makes a point to say when they both came up out of the water. So what that means is chances are Philip was able to be seen by the Ethiopian for a second. They come up. They're both rejoicing because it says they both come up out of the water. And while he's getting ready to really thank him, he disappears. I know it don't make sense. He literally disappears. And this is what happened to the unit. He went. Did y'all see that? Oh, my God. He's gone. Now flip it to the other side. Flip it to the other side. Folks in Azotus just having a normal day. The Azotians are down at the market. They're trading. They're tra- I'll, t- I'll trade you a tomato for that. All, this. All of a sudden, they're standing there. Apple cars knocked over. Apples go everywhere. What? It's like Star Trek, man. Somebody was beamed up. Also, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't, you ain't getting this. Not only does a man appear and found in another city, he's soaking wet. He's there. People's looking at him. Hair's all erect. Where am I? Where, what is this place? What is this place? He didn't know what's going to happen. Uh, you're in Azotus. Can you imagine what was going through Philip's mind? Let's, let's talk about what was going through the eunuch's mind. Let's talk about what was going through Philip's mind. But watch how chill Philip was. And Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he continued to preach in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I'm going to blow your mind. I know you're standing, but I've been standing the whole time. What's this? Do you know how far Azotus is from roughly the middle of the desert where they estimate that they found they found each other in the water? Because he made it almost to Gaza is what most people believe. From there to Azotus, is approximately 40 miles. Do you see the pattern of the number 40? 40 years 
the man at the gate called Beautiful. I told you a few weeks ago, 40 represents a generation. It is almost like Philip was translated a generation ahead of his time. That's what favor will do. Favor will take you places that everybody else has never even got to yet. Or it will put you in places and advance you to places faster and quicker than anything in the natural could have ever done. No chariot. In fact, not even anything we have today in technology as far as a jet or whatever is fast enough to compete with instant transformation in one second, 40 miles. And then stand there. Y'all hear me? Somebody say favor. Then from Azotus, he traveled to Caesarea, and he preached the whole way. It was another 60 miles. So he was translated 40 miles, and then he walked and preached another 60 miles. And for the rest of his life, Philip lived in Caesarea till the day he died. You know how he died? He was crucified, just like Jesus. But listen to the final thing that we hear. So you fast forward all the way to Acts chapter 21. Paul is preaching. He's all had all his travels. And then there's a blip. Two verses in Acts chapter 21. And it says this. On the next day, we, who were Paul's companions, this is Luke talking, departed and came to Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Are y'all hearing me? Who was one of the original seven and stayed with him. This one verse people skip right over. You want to talk about favor. You want to talk about a true parent. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. In a time and in a generation where you got a church even to this day, 2,000 years later, is trying to tell all you women to shut up in the house of God, misreading what the Scriptures actually say. They don't even study history to find out what Paul was actually saying. How can you shut up and prophesy? Huh? Did you hear what I just read? Oh, watch this. We know they didn't have no man because they're virgins. Four daughters living in the house of this man. And the end of his days, he was not known as Philip the evangelist. He was known as the man who had raised up four mighty women of God who would prophesy long after he was gone. Come on, give him praise. Favor, favor goes beyond your life. Favor is destined to extend to the generations after you. What if 
would have said, man, appreciate it, God. I'm good right here in Jerusalem. Number one, Ethiopia would not have seen the church that they saw. Number two, he'd have never made it to Caesarea. Number three, he would have never been a place for the man of God to rest and be refreshed. Most importantly, number four, he probably would have never had a house full of prophets to raise up the most difficult thing in the world. He probably had sons. He probably had sons. But they're not listed. But he's got $4 who are operating in the gift of prophecy because of faithfulness. So when you, when you hear God tell you to go somewhere, what you, when you hear God tell you to do something, what I want you to see is this. When he tells you to go somewhere and do something, he's not just telling you that so that that can get done. He's trying to tell you, I need you to do that so that this can get done as a result of that, and this can get done as a result of that, and this can get done as a result of that, and you don't even understand it, but all the way over here is some guy you'll never even meet until you get to heaven, but he's going to choose Jesus because Jimmy led him to the Lord who was led by the Lord by Adam, who was led to the Lord by Susie, who was led by the Lord by, come on, by you. I used to know this guy. I need to memorize this guy's name. Some of you may know him, but nobody talks about the guy that led Billy Graham to Jesus. He never became big. He never became famous. He was in a tent revival that had about 50 people in that tent revival. He had already had multiple altar calls, and Billy Graham refused to come. And all the ones that had come to the altar had already sat back down in their chairs and this preacher, and I'll tell you his name next week, this preacher said, one more time the Lord is trying me to say, if you were supposed to come and you haven't came, come to these altars and take Jesus. And Billy Graham tells the story at that point. I released my hands from that chair in front of me. As a trembling teenage boy, I walked down that aisle and I fell on my face and I said, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Look what happened. What if that man would not have gave one more altar call and said, you know, this thing's winding down. But he heard God say, don't go by what you feel. Do what I'm telling you to do. That's legacy. That's favor.